Hello, I'm Carl Oakes, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Way of the Higher Self. This is a spiritual path of self-transformation with an emphasis on specific evolutionary practices. It's suitable for people in the early stages of personal growth, as well as for those who've been working their path for a long time. And I want to emphasize that wherever you are on your journey, I honor the work you've done to get there, and I'm grateful for your willingness to consider what's offered here. So, from that place of respect and appreciation, I'd like to ask you the following questions. Do you want to be more grounded, more loving, and more effective in pursuing your goals? Would you like to be freely and fully yourself, justifiably trusting that your words and actions will always be constructive? Would you welcome a relaxed and yet passionate life with real and rewarding relationships, uninhibited creativity, and commitment to a spiritual life task? From my own experience, I know that if you're willing to work this path persistently, it will give you all of that. If you'd like to join me for this and other episodes, I'll show you how. Hi, I'm Carl. I'm really glad you're here. Let's just get started. This is the second episode of the introduction to the first practice of the way of the higher self, which is feel all our feelings. In the first episode, I talked about how and why we interfere with the natural organic flow of our feelings, what the adverse consequences of doing that are, and what the benefits would be if we could learn to change uh, our patterns as far as that's concerned. And I told you that in this episode, I would give you concrete techniques that you could use on a daily basis uh, to gradually unlearn uh, what you've been doing for a lifetime and l learn to let your uh, let emotional energy flow in the organic, natural pathways that it's meant to flow in. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some concrete techniques, starting with practicing surrender in the moment. All right, now this... Uh, is something that is easy to understand and that is kind of infinitely perfectible. In other words, uh, at first, uh, you know, we might be not so great at it and then we get a little better. And, uh, you know, over a period of years, one can get really good at this, but it's, it's not something that uh, the ability to do it lags behind the ability to understand what it is that we're supposed to do, okay? But basically, um, what it means is that when uh, we find ourselves either suppressing or denying or rechanneling a feeling, all right, let's say the feeling is shame and we start going to anger in order to avoid feeling that shame, that we just stop and that we surrender to what the feeling actually is, no matter how uncomfortable that is. Uh, now, sometimes, you know, circumstances don't quite allow us to do that. Uh, if we have to be in uh, a conversation with somebody or something, we might, it, it might be a little limiting in terms of how fully we can do this. But there are other times when we're, 
you know, uh, when less is expected of us and we have more of an opportunity to do it. And if we ever have to delay it a little bit, it's really important to remember and to come back to it. And one of the things I'm going to be doing is actually uh, recommending to you that every night uh, before you go to bed, you kind of do a, a look back and uh, kind of catch up on anything that you might have missed in terms of opportunity to feel a feeling. So um, I've heard this described a couple of different ways. Uh, the, the expression that's kind of popular in pathwork circles for this is dying into the feeling, um, which I get in a way. Um, it's not really, it's not a very happy image, uh, but it does make some sense. In other words, it's just uh, letting go of all resistance and uh, kind of sinking into the feeling. I, I have a related image that just kind of comes up for me when I do it. And it's as though I was in some kind of soup, like some kind of, you know, warmish to hottish soup uh, and, and just kind of floating there and feeling that temperature kind of entering, you know, uh, and, and kind of passing into me um, and just kind of hanging there passively, you know. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the image is. Those kind of give you maybe a little bit of an idea. But the idea, uh, the point is not to fight, to allow. And that's not going to be pleasant. But also, there's nothing that you really have to do about it. It's not the end of the world to be kind of suspended in shame or uh, even suspended in fear. Um, it's the one that I find the hardest because the nature of fear is that it's saying, quick, do something, you know, solve this. Um, and so I find it harder to, to, to kind of be passive. But let me tell you a couple of stories about um, when I've been successful at doing this and, and not and what the difference has been and so forth. And maybe it'll make it a little bit um, more relatable. A really mundane example. I mean, just really, really basic. Um, I, I found myself in a supermarket that I don't usually, <clears throat> excuse me, usually shop in. And uh, the way they had their cold cuts displayed, I couldn't tell um, what was in a package unless I actually picked it up and looked at it. Because it was kind of like a bookshelf. It was vertical and everything was just stacked on top of everything. And I don't know. Um, it, it, it was difficult and, and time-consuming to find the thing that I wanted. So I wasn't, you know, upset about it or anything, but um, I had occasion to also be at, at the actual meat counter asking for something that wasn't out there. And I said to uh, one of the guys who was working at the counter, I said, hey, would you like some feedback on, um, you know, your setup here? And he said, okay. And I said, I just find it kind of difficult to see what's, you know, what's what here, um, you know, in the, in the, on this rack. And he, and he said, you pick up the package and you look at it. Like he was talking to somebody who was, you know, uh, not mentally all there or something. And I said, oh, well, at, the, at Shaw's, which is the supermarket I normally uh, 
you know, shop at. I said, at Shaw's, they have it set up so that, you know, everything's kind of pointing outwards and you can just look at it and see what you want. And he said, oh, it's Shaw's. I was like, okay, you know. So I took my, I took my order, I went home. <laughs> I spent probably the next, I don't know, the rest of that day certainly and probably part of the next day reimagining the scene and uh, every time I was trying to like come up with what would have been a really cool thing to say uh, so uh, to make it clear to him you know without being aggressive without being uncool myself how, how could I let him know that he was being a jerk and and that I wasn't affected by it which of course I was or I wouldn't have been spending all this time uh, conjuring up these conversations. So, um, and what was, you know, what was that feeling? Okay. Basically the guy was kind of mocking me, you know, he, which I guess was his defense probably against shame. I mean, he probably thought that, um, for some reason he was seeing me as like an aggressor of some kind. And, and I was saying, you're not doing this right. I'm, I'm guessing here now, you know, I didn't talk to him. I don't know. I'm just speculating. I think it's important to always, you know, notice that when you're talking about what's going on with somebody else and they haven't told you, um, you don't actually know. So that's why I'm bothering to do that. It's just a habit of mine. Uh, not because it's, uh, I try to train myself not to make assumptions. But, you know, so maybe he was defending against shame, whatever. Uh, so he was mocking me, making me insignificant to make it easier for him to take my feedback, I guess. And the impact it was having on me is exactly the same thing. Like, I, if I was thinking, well, the part of me that was taking on his kind of mocking of me was saying, you know, what's wrong with me? I'm like this, uh, I'm coming in here and... And I'm making a big fuss about nothing because, like, I've got nothing better to do except complain about how the, the, the meat is organized. And, um, and so there was a feeling of shame there that I wasn't being, you know, present enough to realize that I needed to sink into, on, you know, in this way that I'm talking about for like a good 24 hours. And then it, and then it dawned on me. Then it you know, then I realized, oh, okay, this is shame. Just, just be in the shame. And, and uh, that's a kind of, for me, a combination of just allowing the shame that I felt when I remembered him saying that to me. And then to the extent that I was having a little bit of trouble conjuring that up, uh, remembering times earlier in my life when I'd been mocked. And because, you know, it's shame, going all the way back to being, you know, uh, made to feel less than by my parents, okay? So earlier instances of it, it are, are what's being evoked here. Um, so, you know, finally I got it. Finally I kind of did that, you know, just being an object in the soup kind of thing or dying into it, whatever you want to call it. And, and then I forgot all about it, you know? And... Okay, so that was one benefit. I forgot all about it. But the other thing that I did, and this is the important part, because it's not just about each little incident, is that I taught my psychic nervous system that I don't have to defend against shame. 
that shame is not deadly. Shame is not going to annihilate me. All right. And it's going to go away eventually if I let it pass through me. And that's really important because if I learn that, there's two benefits. First of all, whatever structures I have internally erected to, to defend against shame, my intelligence learns that those aren't necessary. Okay, so now I get the benefit of energy being freed up because I start to withdraw my troops, you know, from, from that whole endeavor. Uh, and the other benefit is that in my interpersonal relationships with people, if they should happen to say something that brings up shame for me, I don't need to distance from them. I don't need to uh, aggress towards them. I don't need to prove to them that I'm too cool to be uh, affected by their shaming behavior or whatever. I can just be, you know, and just notice, oh, okay, I'm going to shame right now. What are they saying now? What, what, you know, turn my attention back to being in connection with them. That's a really uh, important, those are all important benefits, okay? So I, I'll tell you one or two other little uh, mundane stories like that. The other one's also a meat counter story. It's kind of a contrast. Um, so I was back at my supermarket, Shaw's, and I, um, there was nobody there. And there, there were people working behind the counter, but there were no customers. So I asked for something, and this woman started to, you know, uh, slice it. And then this other guy came along, and he said, do you want anything? And I said, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly how it went. The bottom line is that he ended up slicing cheese for me, which is on a different slicer. Okay, so she's, she's doing the meat. He's doing the cheese. Then she comes to me and she gives me the meat. And I can't, I'm trying to reconstruct exactly how this happens. Oh, I, she didn't, yeah, she just gave me the meat. And then I said, could I also have and before I could go any further, she said, um, he's taking care of you and walked away. And the guy and I kind of looked at each other like, oh, what was that all about? So um, there again, it's shame. OK, um, tiny bit of fear, you know, because she's mad and so she might hurt me or something. Uh, but mostly shame. I did something wrong. I wasn't supposed to ask her for, uh, you know, for more meat. Being a bad customer. I'm a bad boy, you know. Uh, and in that instance, by the time I got to the parking lot, I was just in that, I'm a bad boy, you know, I've done wrong. And I was just in that energy, not fighting it. And, you know, it dissipated without my having to spend the whole day, you know, imagining scenarios and all that. And uh, the next time that I saw her, I was able to be genuinely friendly towards her and uh, not to hold her, not to hold it against her, you know, which again is better interpersonally and means that I'm not wasting energy uh, on waking, wasting psychic energy, which can be devoted to all kinds of positive things, um, you know, 
engaged in warfare with this woman. And then one more story I'll tell you because it's, it's less, um, it's more intense and, and uh, more recent. Uh, I have a rental property, I have one rental property that I rent occasionally to uh, friends and friends of friends. And so we had somebody there who was probably, you know, was more in the friends of friends category. It's actually not even that, was a client of somebody that one of my kids works for. And so uh, they were there and they commented that the shower wasn't, uh, the flow of the shower wasn't that great. Now, I was aware of that, that it wasn't great, you know, uh, but as I recalled it, I hadn't been there in a while, but as I recalled it, it was what I would have called adequate, you know, in other words, you could get uh, uh, a shower of enough warmth and enough water flow so that, you know, it was a legitimate shower, even though it certainly wasn't in any kind of way luxurious flow, okay? So that's, that was my mindset about it. So I said, I said essentially that. And a few days later, um, they came back and said, you know what, this really isn't adequate. We've been taking sh cold showers for, you know, eight days or something like that. And I was very surprised. Um, but because uh, their initial communication hadn't suggested that. But at the same time, I was aware that, well, I did know that it wasn't the greatest shower in the world. So this, this must be my fault somehow. And then I went into this, like, almost a panic about it. And I got to add one more piece to that so it'll make a little more sense. Okay, the, the rental property is someplace where I don't have much of a connection. And... Um, I was worried that I was not going to be able to get a plumber there quickly. As it turned out, I lucked out. I got somebody there within about 36 hours. But there was some reason to wonder whether, you know, conceivably I might, it might be a long time. And then, you know, I would have, I'd have to put them up, when, which is fine. I would do that. But, you know, it would be embarrassing, basically. This, too, is, is all about shame. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't realize that when I started here that they were all shame examples. Um, but I guess that's, you know, that's big for me. So um, my point is I, I, I got really uh, agitated and would have had what you would call a panic attack um, were it not for the fact that I was very conscious right off the bat that you know, this was an opportunity for me to, to go into shame, but also to go into the fear, all right? And so then I had a, an opportunity as I was being with the fear, which is so difficult for me, um, just, you know, not reacting to it, not kind of ramping up, not getting hyper, just letting that, you know, uncomfortable sense that can't really be described very well, uh, letting that be, um, I, I had an opportunity to kind of explore that and, and to get to know it a little bit. 
And I realized that I have lived, you know, my entire life with this kind of unrealistic, exaggerated fear of punishment, this expectation that, you know, everything's going to seem like it's fine, life's going to be feeling pretty good, and then bam, the universe is just going to rip it all away from me, uh, you know, just tear me apart, humiliate me, cast me down, you know, um, and that, and that, that expectation is part of the basic emotional climate of my life. And we'll talk about this more when we get to, you know, the, the fourth and fifth practice and so forth later. Um, but those expectations and that kind of climate reflects itself in the circumstances of our lives. In other words, if that's what's going on internally, then it may not be exactly what I fear, but some version of something uh, that's related to that is going to afflict my life. And that won't change until I change internally. So I'm kind of previewing now. I don't want to get too deep into that because we're not there yet. We're, we're still on feelings. But those are just some stories um, about uh, instances when I have practiced this. Uh, I know there were shame and fear oriented. Those are kinds of the things I'm working on. But they would apply uh, to anger and to, and to sadness as well. So let's move on to the second technique. And I'm going to be elaborating on this throughout uh, practices two, three, and four. So I'm just kind of laying a foundation for it now and uh, providing one element of it. But that is to do a daily journal. Remember I said that I would advocate that every night before you go to bed, and when I say obvious, uh, excuse me, when I say every night, obviously, you know, there are times when you're going to have to make exceptions, but every night that you can reasonably conveniently do it, um, I recommend sitting down with a journal and just looking back over the day and trying to be aware of times when uh, anger or fear or shame or uh, sadness started to come up and then maybe in one way or another uh, you interfered with them okay so it's daily journal and um, i'll give you an example for instance of something you might write down um, two days ago my wife and i uh, have been watching we've been re-watching the sopranos from beginning to end okay the hbo series about the crime family and we're about three quarters of the way into the series and there's an episode that is just unbelievably tragic um, involving one of the only likable characters in the whole story uh, meeting her demise and i knew it was coming because i watched it years ago and yet when the scene happened that you know, was, is really so difficult to bear. I blocked it, you know, I, I 
decided not, it, well, re, reflexively I blocked it and, you know, quote unquote, decided in that moment not to feel, you know, the sadness, the compassion, maybe the bit of fear that comes from witnessing such things and, and realizing that such things actually do go on in the world. Um, and it was atypical for me at this stage in my life. Um, I, I don't tend to block sadness. Um, but let's say um, I'm doing daily, daily journal for that day. I go back, I sift through the day, and I remember that. And so I write down, uh, you know, blocked sadness watching Sopranos. And then the thing to do... Um, or, or alternately, it doesn't have to be blocked, right? If I had done that successfully, if I had really allowed that feeling, then I would journal, you know, allowed sadness while watching Sopranos. But since I didn't, let's go with what, what do we do if we notice that we didn't allow a particular feeling. The thing to do then is to see if we can evoke it in the, me in the moment. In other words, can we now have the feeling experience that was blocked earlier in the day. Um, so I might try to just kind of close my eyes and relive that scene and maybe the feelings will come to me, uh, maybe they won't. Um, if they don't, what can I do to kind of facilitate that? Um, I'm, I'm gonna suggest something to you uh, to try out. Um, this is something that I learned from the Mankind Project, when I mention them, when I say that, it's not to imply that I have an affiliation with them or that they endorse what I'm doing. I'm simply giving credit, okay? I did not think of this. I learned this from them uh, back when I was more, you know, intensely involved with that organization, and I just want to give credit. So it comes from an exercise that they call bucketing, and basically uh, it's meant to take a feeling that's uh, only registering in a, in a minor way or that you know is there but you can't really bring to the surface and to kind of make it um, alive a little bit. So the, just ask yourself a couple of questions. You know, uh, I know let's say that I have this sadness but I can't quite really connect with, with it. Where is it in my body? So generally the answer to that is some somewhere in the abdomen, maybe very rarely in the head, but usually it's somewhere in, in this zone, you know? So I might just wait until I get a sense, okay, it's right here. And just put my hand there, okay? And then the next question would be, uh, if this feeling had a color, what would that color be? And this might seem like a really silly question, okay? Um, but if it does land that way for you, I would just say this is an exercise, this is something to try. Um, if you can suspend judgment and not worry about whether it's silly or not, um, you know, not basically just try it, um, you might find that it works um, or you might not. But I would say try it a few times and uh, make a decision on the basis of, of a couple of attempts. So I might be, you know, closing my eyes with my hands where I had placed it. 
and it, it, what's coming up for me is kind of a, a greenish yellow, okay? All right, so the next question is, if this uh, feeling had a sound, what would it sound like? And this, I think, is the most challenging part of the exercise because um, most of us don't want to appear silly. And yet, sometimes the sounds that come up um, when you really follow your own intuition in this exercise are, are just ridiculous sounding sounds. You know, there, it might be like a or it might be a you know whatever it is um just don't judge it just just wait for something authentic to come a sound that you can make with without being sort of dishonest and without forcing it um assuming that it does come which it probably will if you give it time so you make the make the sound you know, I'm just going to say, let's say in this case, it's uh, and then ask yourself, when in your life have you felt this feeling before? And normally that will take you to some childhood situation where this feeling was alive for you and it will enable you to, to have a more live experience of that feeling, all right? So I would recommend giving that a try to see if, you know, if the feeling is, uh, is, uh, was accessible, great, but if it was blocked, to try this thing, which is part of what is called bucketing, and see if that gives you a more live experience of the feeling because better late than never if you can't have it right in the moment during the day when it happens. So uh, what else can we do to kind of um, assist with these um, maybe uh, feelings that were blocked? Um, we can also, and well, okay, we can also do two things. We can visualize ourselves uh, feeling them and we can pray to feel them. Now that may, somebody is gonna see that and say, well, you know, that's not for me. I think that if I had watched myself, if I had watched this early in my life, I, I would have immediately put barriers up around that. Um, because um, I, I, I'm not too keen on the visualizing thing, mainly because I associate it with, um, you know, visualize a Mercedes in your, in your uh, driveway and uh, sooner or later it will appear, you know? And if it doesn't appear, it's because you're not visualizing hard enough and consistently enough. Um, I, I don't think that is uh, truthful. I think it works for a small number of people. I think if you have a certain kind of character type, I don't want to bother getting into the whole details of that, but for some people that works. But generally, um, most people will put up obstacles to that working and um, they can be valid, uh, spiritually valid, wholesome obstacles, okay? 
Um, long story that I'll, I'll have to save for another episode. But that's, that's the association I make to that. And then prayer in, in general, I uh, tend to, I tend to uh, associate with, you know, please let me hit this grand slam. Please let our team win. Please let our army win. You know, this idea of this kind of interceding God who, if he gets, you know, 72,908 prayers for this and he only gets 52,601 prayers for the opposite, then he'll, then he'll, you know, uh, intervene on the side of the majority prayer or whatever. And, you know, it's not worth getting into why that's not appealing, but it's not appealing to me. So I have these uh, resistance points. I will tell you more about uh, visualization when we get to uh, the fifth practice and, or is it the sixth? I don't know. When we get to visualizing and we get to praying, I'll tell you more about these things. But what I will say for now is that when you're visualizing for the best aspects of yourself to come to the fore, um, that will work over time. And, uh, you know, subtly, not, it's not going to change you dramatically in a short period of time, but it helps the process of evolution. And when we pray for things that uh, will be beneficial to our uh, emergence into greater consciousness, um, that works as well. Um, so in those very, very limited zones, uh, I'm saying that prayer, that visualization and, and prayer work. If you doubt me, that's fine. Let's wait till we get to those practices. You can, you can uh, watch or listen um, to the whole you know, elaborate presentation on that and decide for yourself. Um, but these are possible things that, that you can do. Um, beyond that, um, Let's talk about uh, how we can access thwarted feelings, all right? Because remember, we talked about uh, how there were past accessible feelings and then past feelings that were thwarted. And they are the, the real challenge here, okay? Uh, feelings that, we, that are buried and that we never really had an opportunity to express as children. Um, and I would say that the less you remember about your childhood, the greater the likelihood that there might be something of this nature here. Um, if you're very uncomfortable and unhappy um, and you have very limited memory of your childhood, it might, might <clears throat> excuse me, it might make sense to go into therapy for a while um, in addition to everything that you're doing in in the way of the higher self to support that, to help with this aspect of thwarted feelings. Um, for me, the kind of therapy that has worked the best for that purpose um, has been therapy that depends on free association, you know, neo-Freudian stuff basically, which I know is really out of fashion and, you know, uh, and, well, you know, for, for uh, reasons that aren't worth getting into, but as far as the actual mechanism of allowing the mind to just go where it wants to go 
and observing that, um, I think that's an incredibly useful process. So it wouldn't necessarily have to be a neo-Freudian person you were doing that with, just someone who's open to, to uh, letting you run with that. Um, you know, one thing leads to another, leads to another, and before you know it, you're into some real deep and interesting stuff. Um, so that's what worked best for me. Uh, I'm also fortunate to have old photo albums. I really recommend, um, you know, if you have photos of yourself as a child, or if you have family members who might have some that, who can give them to you, um, that's helpful in terms of, um, you know, bringing back the memories and then the feelings that are associated with those memories will come as well. Um, and, uh, uh, you can also, you know, pray for, um, pray to feel those thwarted feelings. Again, it's the same because it's prayer for greater consciousness, it will, uh, help. Okay. In a way that prayer for, for vehicles, uh, for instance, uh, will not. All right. So thwarted feelings, we're looking at possibly therapy, um, pictures from childhood, um, and, and prayer for those memories. And they may come directly. They may come in dreams. They may, um, they may come in situations that suddenly bring the memories back, you know? Then the last thing uh, I wanted to talk about has to do with the, um, with numbing. How do we undo that? And the question here is, you know, what can I do to live uh, a more emotional life? Um, and so do an inventory of what it is that you use to numb yourself. I mentioned that it could be an addiction of some kind. You know, it could be substances, it could be work, um, it could be an attitude of, you know, uh, false serenity of I'm above, you know, uh, which is, I, I, you know, seductive, okay? And I think it's based on a misconception about spirituality that's common in our society that if I were really spiritual, I, I would be able to just float above all my feelings and, um, you know, they wouldn't bother me. And the disconnect there, the idea that I'm uh, floating above them is, is the part that's not quite right. Um, it's if, if one is, um, you know, practicing a, a spiritual attitude, one doesn't disconnect from the feeling. One allows the feeling, doesn't struggle with the feeling, and maintains consciousness in that felt experience. Okay. So it's experiencing life fully, including uncomfortable feelings and remaining conscious. It's not remaining conscious by reason of separating oneself, uh, from one's feelings. All right. So it could be, so it could be, uh, an attitude like that. Um, trying to think of other ways that, that, a person might numb themselves. Basically, addiction and and this kind of attitude. Uh, well, um, one could. This is kind of related to being um, 
to being caught up in work and all that. But one could push so hard and do so much that one is always drained. Um, I think that's something, uh, that's something that I do. Um, I live in, uh, with a little bit of climate of fear, um, with a little bit of an expectation that things are going to be taken away from me. Um, so even when I have money, I'm, I'm concerned that it's not enough and that it's going to disappear and all that. And so I, I drive myself. Um, and the impact of that is that I'm worn out. And then because I'm worn out, I'm not as emotionally present as I could be. All right. So that's another possible way that one, that one could do it. And I encourage you to think of your own. All right. Um, there, I'm sure that I'm not, I'm not covering every single base here. All right. So um, what I'm recommending here that you do is that you pick, once you've done this inventory of how you numb yourself, that you pick one thing and that you sacrifice it. Get rid of it. Stop doing it. Um, and here again, you know, I could understand having a negative kind of uh, reaction to that because what comes up for me around the idea of sacrifice, I'm thinking of people sacrificing goats and trying to, you know, please a, uh, a God who will reward uh, submissiveness. All right. And, but the reason I'm recommending sacrifice here is, is really, really different. I think that, um, it, it's a cliche that people do New Year's resolutions and then, you know, by, I don't know, you know, the 10th of January or something, uh, they've broken them all already. One of the reasons that that happens is because we expect that to happen. We don't really trust ourselves. We don't really, um, we understand the split between the part that really wants these things and the part that's going to show up later and say, come on, you know, come on, let's just, let's do this. It's going to feel good or let's not do that. You know, however, whatever the situation might be. Um, in case like, for instance, the commitment was let's go to the gym, you know, five times a week or whatever, there's going to be a voice that's saying, eh, let's not do that. Let's stay home. So, um, we, we know that about ourselves. So when we make commitments, um, we don't fully believe that we're going to follow through on them. And then that undermines uh, our commitment to doing them. The act of sacrifice is a, a way of telling ourselves that we are more invested than that. That it's not just talk that we really want to change. It's, a, it's an act of commitment um, that speaks to the whole kind of psychic nervous system. You know, it's like, wow, you really, you're really doing this. You've really given up, you know, uh, online Scrabble or whatever it is. You haven't done it in a month. You're serious. Um, I'm serious. It's an important, uh, 
It's an important, helpful thing to do. And besides that, <clears throat> besides that kind of affirmation to the self that you really mean it, that's one less thing that you have that's, that's numbing you. And, you know, it's in your best interest to, to get rid of this thing. And the flip side of the coin um, is to ask the question, what brings me joy? And to do more of that. Um, you know, whether it's ice skating or painting or music or whatever, just there are things. And what brings me joy and what brings me emotional connection? Because that's not always the same thing. For example, um, when I listen to music, a lot of times I get really uh, emotionally connected. Sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll cry. Other times I'll just, you know, um, I'll just be in my feelings in a way that I'm not uh, when I'm not when I'm going for long periods of time without listening to music. And that's not exactly joy, it's something else, um, you know. Um, but these two things, joy and emotional connection, will in, enrich our lives. And they kind of take us out of that cycle where we're, um, we're kind of in a numbed and depressed state because we're being understimulated. Because these, these things that we do to numb ourselves, you know, they may be repetitive and and uh, we may be getting a lot of them, but they're not really, uh, they're not stimulating our, our, our real pleasure centers and our real life centers um, in the same way as, as these other things. So identify what, it, what that would be for you. Um, you know, I have a friend for whom it's definitely go skiing during the winter. Uh, the more he skis, the happier he is, you know. Um, and there are times when he has to remind himself of that and has to make time for that. And then every time he does, you know, he's grateful that, that he did. So find out what that is for, for you and do that for yourself. Because, you know, sacrifice, while it's useful, you know, can kind of bring up a, a Spartan idea about spirituality. I think that's another misconception that that, that we tend to carry about spirituality is that it has to be sparse in some way. And, and that's not true at all. It could be rich and alive and, and lush. And as a matter of fact, it, it, it will be that if, if you pursue it long enough. Um, it will become more and more that all the time. So, um, and that's a good counter, it's a good counterpoint for this kind of um, sacrifice mentality, which has a value um, to be uh, pampering, well, I don't like the word pampering, but to be, um, you know, just doing things that make you happy, all right? So those, that's, all of that um, is the first practice, feel all our feelings. These are the techniques. Um, I really recommend that you Practice them with as much regularity as you can, and especially this um, daily journal piece. Um, it's like I said; it's going to get more and more elaborate. It's going to be really central um, to to the whole endeavor here, um, and it's going to turn into something 
um, complex, rich, and wonderful by the time we get to, uh, to practice four. So uh, until then, thanks so much for watching, and I'll see you later. Thank you for giving your time and attention to this episode of The Way of the Higher Self. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful, and I hope you'll come back for more. Personally, I'd love for us to stay connected. If you feel the same way, I hope you'll subscribe to the Way of the Higher Self YouTube channel and or the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit thewayofthehigherself.com where you'll find a growing library of materials to help you manifest your most evolved and positive qualities. While you're there, sign up for email alerts and we'll keep you informed as more content is added to take your practices to a deeper level. Until next time, no matter what life may bring, I wish you maximum progress on your path.